when we left, the first 50, every 50 miles, there was a roadblock of soldiers. And when we got to the first roadblock, you know, really sadly, there was a car in front of us with a, a child who had a disability. And the phrase he used was, um, what use is he where he is going? So Welcome to the Brown Girl Rising podcast, where authenticity meets empowerment. I'm Urvashi, your host and your guide on this journey of elevating voices, sharing stories and navigating the journey of resilience. So let's dive in. Oh my God, today, girls, I am so excited to have the author Bharti Deer on the Brown Girl Rising podcast. I met Bharti less than two weeks ago at an exhibition in East London where she was sitting with this book that caught my attention. And I went over and I had a chat, bought the book. In fact, we bought four copies that day, didn't we? Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and bought the book. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to read this book with my friends in a book club. I could not put it down. I have not read a book that's kept me so engrossed as Worth has in the last three or four years. So firstly, I want to thank you for writing this incredible book. Your story, your memoir, it is just fascinating, mind-blowing, and it just takes you on a journey through your life. And, you know, you were abandoned as a child. You know, your, your mum had a vision that brought her to the hospital, which honestly... I'm blown away by it in itself, you know, accepted as an African Asian descent woman into a Punjabi Sikh family and their extended family. Your skin condition, Parthi, and all the effort you and your father went through, honestly. And then, you know what, to top it off, the Idi Amin rule. I just cannot believe how much you have been through in your short life. Um, I'm honored to have you here. So, Parthi, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Urvashi. I'm equally honoured to be here on your podcast. I'm so honoured that you asked me. and I'm so pleased you've read my memoir. Yeah, I read it from cover to cover, like literally could not put it down. And you know what? I had to have you on the podcast. Like your book inspired me and I know it's going to inspire everybody who reads it. So Bharati, the first question I ask all my guests and I want to ask you is, what does it mean to you to be unlimited? Um, do you know I was thinking about that question and I thought unlimited for me I think you relate it to the title of my book which is worth the mm. so unlimited to me would be that when we are born we are born as children who have that sense of worth mm. have that sense of confidence in ourselves and who have that sense of knowing that everything we ask for is going to be met. Mm. And so we have that unlimited sense of worth. We have that unlimited sense of being, you know, nurtured if we're in the right environment and being loved. And so when you ask, when you ask me that question, what does unlimited mean to me? For me, it means that why is it that we are born with this unlimited sense of self and this unlimited sense of we are worthy, we, we have a purpose, we are looked after, and yet circumstances come in our lives 
to take away that sense of unlimited. So for me, it goes in a much more deeper level than just materials or mm. possessions or relationships. It's all about the circumstances and experiences that we're exposed to that take away that unlimited sense of worth we were born with. Mm. Does that make sense to you? It makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, so I want to um, I want you to just give a quick synopsis of your book, if that's okay. Um, because and then I want you to kind of can you tell me when actually let's go with that question. Can you tell me when you lost your un unlimited sense of worth? I think the first time probably that I well, um, the first time I actually lost it was uh, when I first found out that I was adopted. Mm, you went through your dad's folder, didn't you? Because yeah. in the 60s, you parents were not encouraged generally to tell their children that they were adopted. And my parents were typical Indians. They didn't want me to feel that I was unloved. They didn't want me to start questioning my identity within the family. So they bought me very much very much up as you are our child and I had no reason to disbelieve them and I had no reason to question my very existence mm. and when the kids at school used to say that's not your real family I didn't believe them in fact I think I've written I got into a lot of fights mm. so when you go into um, a study and you find a folder and it's got your name written on it and then you read the word adoption and then you look it up in a dictionary. I think that's the first time I started not necessarily feeling I wasn't part of the family, but actually questioning who, why my parents had lied to me and who was I. Mm, and, so you felt lied to. Yeah, and why did my, why was I abandoned on the roadside? Mm. What was it about me that my mother or her family didn't like about me to the extent that they were prepared to let leave me to die on the side of the road? Um, and that, I think, took started to, that was probably the pivotal moment when I started to feel unlimited mm. in myself. Because suddenly I started to question myself. Mm. I question my looks I started to question my parents what else had they lied about you know um to me um I started to question was I really worthy to be here on earth uh to the you know should I really have died on that roadside so yeah and then of course I think um a few months later obviously I, I developed the skin um, condition and I think that started to chip away at my sense of unlimited worth even more mm. because yeah, I'm hearing messages from various religious bodies saying this is karma for something bad she's done in her life and she has to she's being tested or this is um, God's way of punishing her for something she's done or she has to go through this test or she mm. hasn't got so you can imagine as you as you go, as you proceed through life with a, a, a condition like that, and then people actually openly start shunning you, again, 
your your sense of unlimited worth and well that worth wasn't unlimited anymore it was actually it started to diminish that amount started to diminish yeah it's interesting because in your book obviously like you know, you just said, am I worthy? You, you had this feeling of, am I worthy of being here on earth? But your your story takes us on this journey where you were dropped off at a roadside in a fruit box. Yes. And then your your mother had this vision, which I'm going to ask you to go into in a minute. Um, she came to the hospital, she got you, and then all of a sudden you were this, you know, your dad, was it your dad won some money, was it? Yes, yes, yes. yes. And, you know, all of a sudden you were the lucky child. So between the ages of one and what, seven, you were like this prosperous, lucky child, right? So you must have felt, well, I don't know, but did you feel completely worthy at that point? Or was it, or did it get to a point where actually it just got too much for you? So let's start with my mom's dream. My yeah. mom, mom talked to me about her dream. Um, that was around about the age of 15, 16, when I disclosed to my mum, finally, by this time, my father had died. So he died not knowing that I knew I was adopted. Oh. So, um, and it's only when I um, got another condition, unfortunately, called lupus, that um, when the consultant asked my mum, oh, um, is there anybody in the family who has this condition? And my mum said to the consultant, oh, well, let Bart, Bart, tell Barty to go out the room and I'll tell you. And that, at that point, I turned around and said, Mom, I know I'm adopted. And I turned around and said to the consultant, you know, um, I was found abandoned, so there's nothing known about my history. Mm. And so, um, and I'm adopted. So that was it. So subsequently, I was able to then ask my mum when we got home, well, tell me my story. What do you know about me? And she said, well, Prior to my birth, my mum had lost eight or so children in childbirth or miscarriage. Wow. And um, she then had my older brother, and then she was pregnant carrying my sister, Anju. And and she kept dreaming that there was another, there was a girl coming into the family. And she kept telling my dad, I just sense it's not this child that I'm carrying, I know I'm carrying a girl, but I, I feel there's another little girl coming. And then she said to my dad, because in Uganda, there was a real intermingling of religious faiths. Okay. So uh, Sikhs, the Sikh, we went to the Hindu temple. I've said, you know, we were comfortable going to the mosque. We were comfortable going to church. Everybody intermingled with each other. It was only a small community. So we all celebrated each other's festivals. So my mum kept saying to my dad, I'm seeing goddess Lakshmi and she keeps coming to me and she keeps saying to me, there's another little girl coming. And my dad was not as spiritual or as religious as my mum and he kept saying, it's just your, it's just your bam. You know what bam means, you know, yeah. like it's just your sense. Um, it's it's uh, superstition. It's all mixed up. You've got a child you're carrying. That's the girl. Mm. And then the story is that when I was found abandoned, uh, there was a, my dad was reading the local newspaper and there was a picture of me. And my mum said, that's the girl. That's the girl I've been seeing. 
I think, can I just stop you there? Because I think I remember that in the story, you say that the vision or the dream that your mom had, uh, Lakshmi Ma says to your mom that she's a bit a girl. She's in a pink, um, yes. like a pink blanket. And she's in this particular ward in this particular hospital. So it's etched on my mind. Ward 21 of Kabbalah. And that's what Lakshmi Ma said to your mom. Yes. And that's what came out in the paper. Yes. Oh my God, but- my mind is blown. Well, my mum didn't know that it hadn't come out that I was, I was just told that they found me and I was in this hospital. And my mum said to my dad, she's in this hospital, she's in Ward 21, take me there. And my dad took her. And as he was explaining to the receptionist what they were there for, my mum was gone. She already knew which one. Um, she'd seen it so often in her dreams leading up to my birth. Uh, she said, I just knew exactly where to go. She goes, I went straight to the ward, saw the first cot, saw you there, wrapped up in a pink blanket. And I knew, and I turned around, picked you up, and said to my, um, I said to your dad, this is our daughter. This is the one I've been seeing. And she said it just, and I wanted it, she wanted to take me there, there and then, but they had to follow the protocol of adoption. So, um, you know, one of the things I've talked about also, Urwashi, is that initially when the news came out, it, in the newspaper it said I was an Asian girl. Mm. A lot of Indian families then started coming forward because, they, you know, obviously my mom said, oh, goddess Lakshmi, Mataji Lakshmi told me this. And then, of course, they then they subsequently found out, actually, she's not actually Asian. She's part African, part Asian. Mm. <laughs> Out away. And didn't want to adopt an African child, a, a mixed uh, dual heritage child. Uh, but my parents persevered and said, whatever she is, we're going to have her, you know. And then, of course, um, my mum said that a month or so later, my dad won the football pools. And suddenly this whole family, or this a few of the families came back because obviously they thought I was a lucky child. Wow. They were like, she's brought luck on that family. They'd won you know, millions. Yeah. We we want and so of course everybody started clamoring then to have this have me. But I think the legacy of it is quite bittersweet because as I grew up, people would come up to me and if they were pregnant, they would make me touch their bellies and okay. tell them what was asked me, you know, a very young child who had no idea about luck and what I was being considered as. And they would ask me questions like, are we, oh, am I going to have a boy? There's always a boy. You know what it's like. It's always a boy. Am I going to have a boy? And I'd say, I don't know. And my mum would, and their faces would fall. And I mean, some women would literally look like they were going to burst into tears. And my mum would say, just say anything, just say anything. So I'd say, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a boy. Because I realised I better say it's a boy. I better not say it's a girl. So, yeah, and as I got older, it just got a bit silly. You know, I, I started to feel very pressured because imagine somebody saying to you, you know, imagine thinking they think they're going to have a boy. What if it's a girl? Um, am I going to be held responsible for the fact that they've got a girl? Yeah. You know? And then... It's ironic, isn't it? Like, they're coming to you, a yeah. girl sent yeah. from Lakshmi to go, am I having a boy? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? 
seats in it. You know, people would buy houses and they would come and wave the blooming legal papers at me. Are we going to buy this house? Is this house going to be lucky for us? Just say yes or no. And, you know, the, that level of responsibility and pressure you put on a child. Mm. Dream of it now, would you? Well, I don't know. I think in certain parts of India it still goes on if yeah. they can a child was born in a certain way and, you know, um, they think this child this child is lucky. But it's a huge amount of responsibility and pressure to put on a child. And mm-hmm. I really began to feel it. As, as my awareness grew, I started to then question, you know, these people who were inviting me into their homes, some of these families were the very ones that rejected me because I was half African. Yeah. And so acceptable because I am lucky. But what if I wasn't lucky? Would I still be welcome in their home? You have to question. Yeah, and exactly. Questions started to come into my mind once I realised I was adopted and what was actually really going on. I mean, my own family didn't. My, I think yes, there was even an element in my mum and dad's mind that I brought them luck. Oh, really? Yeah, but it, it didn't last after that. Do you know what I mean? It didn't. Yeah. It didn't they didn't keep asking me, oh, Bharti, should we do this? They didn't consult me on everything. They just accepted that maybe I was a reward because they'd taken me in. Maybe I'd bought them luck, but they just considered it as a one. I was never asked after that, oh, yeah. can you tell us if this house is lucky or can you tell us if we should go on this journey or uh, you know, should we consider this marriage or, you know, there, there was none of that from my immediate family after that. But luck changed, didn't it, Bharti? Mm-hmm. You ended up with a skin condition, which I can't pronounce, so I'm going to let you mention what it is. Yeah, so for sure it's called EB. Okay. And the slang term for it is butterfly skin, but the full term is epidermisis bullosa. Mm. And types of it, and I think... I, I came off pretty lucky. I had the simplex type, which is, it sounds awful, but there are different types. And um, I don't know the full, I've never researched it fully, but because in the 60s, there was very little known about it. All I know is that when I went to the consultant here in England, he said there were only three, they only knew of three or four people in the world who had it. That's how rare it was at that time. I think there's a bit more awareness now, but it's basically a condition where your skin just blisters up and it's very, very delicate to the point where if I knocked myself against anything, I would get an instant blister or a tear. Yeah. So covered from top to toe with blisters. It looked like somebody just chucked uh, a bucket of boiling water over me. Yeah. it's like you're burnt all over, you know? Yeah, and then, like, and I read that, you know, you went to see loads of gurus, phys- uh, like, you know, physicians, consultants, and one even put you in some kind of a contraption that yeah. tried to burn your skin or yeah. something, and that you ended up going home and your legs were stuck to the car, leather seats in the car. Honestly, Bharti, I don't know how you dealt with this as a child, let alone how anybody as an adult would deal with this you know but like, you do it i think the final straw for me was the witch doctor and i was like please. <laughs> can you just tell the story please? <laughs> that witch doctor not so i think that was the final straw for my dad as well you know like 
like, no, you better just shoot me now because I am not going back to that now. <laughs> so for those guys who don't know what we're actually talking about right now, you need to read the book. But her dad takes her to a witch doctor in the middle of a forest and this witch doctor says you need to drink this concoction and her skin will come back to, or be, become better or whatever. And in this concoction, he has spat a huge glob of phlegm. And he's like, drink it, child. And you're like, oh, my God. And you didn't. You ran away, didn't you? I used to. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, there's no way. I don't care what this guy turns me into. In my imagination, I was thinking, you know, I used to be an avid reader like you, Urvashi. And I was like, I don't care what he turns me into, but there is no way I'm drinking. <laughs> oh, can you? Oh, God. Oh, God. Honestly, I don't know where these doctors get away with it. Um, but you were lucky. You know, I say you were lucky. But let's talk about before you got to the UK. And I know your father died before. For the Idi Amin rule or during the Idi Amin rule? Yes, he was having to hunt for them, wasn't he? Yeah, Idi Amin came, I think, in 1970. And my dad died um, late 71, 1971. Mm -hmm. And then Uganda in 72 when Idi Amin issued an edict that all Asians had to leave the country. Um, and he gave us 90 days. But where we lived in Kabale... We heard 90 days initially, and then there was a rumour, it's 45 days, mm. so imagine the panic. But then it was actually 90 days, yeah. Oh, it was, yeah. And that that journey, I mean, even you could write a whole book on just that part of your life, if I'm honest yeah. with you. You know, that would be an entire interesting book because obviously, like, loads of Asians had to migrate and become refugees, right? Yeah. As they yeah. decided which way they were going to go back to India yeah. to England etc but that story from how you got out of Kabale to the airport and the things that happened along the way like that is torturous for anyone let alone a child yeah how do so, you deal with that yeah yeah I mean you know again my mum was very you know like I think what's come across for me and I've written a, a chapter called a mother's courage mm. because about the power of women isn't it yes when women are confronted with certain harrowing situations a woman gets this inner strength uh, to protect it's that lioness within her comes out you know like your podcast is brown girl rising mm. that brown girl rising that something rises within our mothers I yeah. think to do what they can to protect their children. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think if there's any testament, if I'd had any doubt whatsoever, what I meant to my mum, it was dispelled on that journey because yeah. obviously first um, when we left the first 50, every 50 miles, there was a roadblock of soldiers and, um, when we got to the first roadblock, you know, really sadly, um, there was a car in front of us with a, a child who had a disability and there was a wheelchair on top of the roof. And I think I've written about the fact that we actually saw that child get shot. He chucked the wheelchair down the hillside and then he shot the child and thought he did a good job. Yeah, yeah. And he, he, made, he forced the parents to say that he'd done a good job. And the phrase he used was... Um, what use is he where he is going? So, I've, and I've, I've, you know, there are certain phrases that stick in your mind. Mm. This has always stuck in my mind. 
because it was so such a powerful for a first start I was very much into English and it was very ungrammatical so of course that (laughs) (laughs) the scholar in you the fact that somebody would decide that you're worth you know somebody's already made a decision that you are not worthy to live what use is he where you're going and I shot this poor little boy and then it was our family's turn Mm. and they went and they found some sense in my brother's suitcase and were threatening to shoot him. So there was that terror because we'd already seen a child get shot. So we knew what these men were capable, these soldiers were capable. And then for him to point the gun at my mom and say, you know, you have to leave her behind because she's one of us. She's not one of you. And for my mom to say, I'm not leaving her behind. You know, um, you know, that's strength. Mm. That's strength. She had so much faith, your mum. Yeah, and that sort of, you know, if she was frightened, she didn't show it. It was just adamant, very respectfully adamant that she was not going to leave me behind. Mm. And I think in my book I've said that he repeated the order a few times and even cocked the trigger. And he pointed it at my mum's chest. And I was convinced we were all going to die. I was convinced. And then same phrase, he said, what use is she where you're going? And I thought, this is it. He's going to kill me now and throw me down the hillside. Um, and then he just put the gun down and gave almost a grudging respect to my mum. Mm. You know, and Urushi, I sometimes think, was that a test to my mum? Was he testing my mum? Because Idi Amin had said that the Asians didn't like the Africans and the Asians hated the Africans. Right. They didn't marry the Africans and they considered um, Africans lower than them and inferior to them. So maybe sometimes now I sometimes think, did was he testing my mum? What would have been, was he expecting my mum to say, yeah, okay, I'll leave her behind? You know, because she's half African. I agree. She doesn't really belong to us. You can have her. Oh, but my you, God. You know, you, you do think in those scenarios, you know, only mm. after you think. But, uh, but my mom was very assured and said, no, I'm not leaving her behind. She is my daughter. She's just as precious to me as all my other children, and I'm not leaving her behind. Yeah, your mom sounds like an absolute saint. And to be given that, like, I guess, instruction from the soldier to leave you behind and go, no, you know, she's my child. Like that obviously gave you a big sense of worth in that moment, right? Like you meant something to someone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, later on in the chapter, you know, written about my Babiji, who was my cousin's wife and how, you know, we had to be in this room and the lights had to be off. My mum had gone to get her passport and papers with my as in brother, yeah. and we were given instructions to get into the water tank if the soldiers came to the house. And they did. And again, another woman prepared to die, prepared to die not just for her own children, but also her nieces and nephews, yeah. you know. Um, she was prepared to die for all of us and, and said, you have to get into that water tank and you dare, you do not dare make any noise. And only when I, I knock on that water tank would you come out. Of course, yeah. I thought that was very exciting. 
Yeah, when the soldiers come knocking at your door. Oh, my God. Um, so did you ever at any point feel different in terms of obviously maybe, I don't know, because you're half African, half Indian, maybe your skin was a little bit darker, you know, your hair is curlier than maybe most Indians. Like, did you ever, like, did anyone ever make you feel like you didn't belong where you were? You know, Urvashi, I'm, one of the reasons I wrote Worth was because I wanted to highlight various aspects of the Indian community mm. and to talk about the fact that, you know, there was this prejudice about illeg illeg illegitimacy. Yep. Yeah, there were remarks made about my illegitimacy and uh, as you get older, you become more aware of those remarks about people saying to my mom, she's got gandaku, dirty blood, mm. or going to bring dishonour on your family, just like her birth mother did, you know. Mm. Mm. Um, so the, the most people were convinced that I was going to have a child illegitimately. Yes, I remember reading that, yeah. Uh, then there was this issue about, um, you know, the sexism. If you want to adopt, why don't you adopt a boy? Why are you adopting a girl? Yeah. Oh, then there was the messages about racism. Mm. Oh my God, she's an African, you know. You're you're actually bringing an African into the family, and there were relatives that said to my mum and dad, uh, "My dad, people are going to think you had an affair with an African woman." So when I used to go to the Gurdwara when I was a teenager, I used to hear women saying that, oh. and they realized I could understand Punjabi perfectly, and they would be saying in Punjabi to each other, "Oh, her dad must have had an affair. The poor woman, she's had to bring up this child." Or they would uh, say things like, maybe she's had an affair and snigger, you know. If um, only they knew. <laughs> yeah. They would say things like, oh, you brought your servant over from Uganda. Oh, my God. Calling her your daughter. God's going to really bless you because, you know, you brought this servant over and you're giving her this lovely life. And my mom would say, she's my daughter. And they'd say, you're calling her a daughter. Wow. Wow, why Guruji is really going to bless you, you know. And that sort of prejudice about being African was there. And then also the colorism. Yep. I was much darker. I had a broader nose. Um, you know, I've got a wig on, but mm. you know, natural hair is very curly, shorter. Uh, and you know, people saying, you know, she's a Kali, who's gonna marry her? Nobody, you're not going to find anybody to marry her. She's going to be a burden to you for the rest of your life because mm. you're going to marry her. Um, so these are the things that chip away at a child's sense of worth and a young person's sense of worth. Yeah. And I've written somewhere in my book that I spent so many years comparing myself to Western and Eastern idea of beauty and finding myself lacking. Mm. I actually lost myself. I mm. lost that sense of who I was because I wanted to be so much like an Asian. I wanted to have long, dark, straight hair. I wanted to have lighter skin. You know, I wanted to look pretty. I wanted to be considered pretty. And I knew I wasn't considered pretty in Western ide ideology and I wasn't considered pretty in Eastern ideology. So I think I, w I wrote the book Worth because I wanted to bring those messages and highlight those messages that our community doesn't think about when they're talking in in general terms 
and they don't think about the impact it has on a child. I'm not talking about children of dual heritage. I'm talking about children, girls and boys who are brought up to think that their colour is yeah. not their curly hair. Absolutely. You know, that there's a generation that has been brought up thinking they're not good enough, having yes. limiting beliefs that are their parents' limiting beliefs. And, you know, people like you, myself, are here to break that cycle, break yeah. that, you know, that 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 cycle in our own heritage. Because I know that you now have a daughter. You yeah. also now do work with children as well, don't you? So can we talk about what you're up to today? So today I work in child protection. Okay. And I in child protection for over 30 years. Maybe there was a bit of a karmic destiny there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Having said that, like I've said, I've talked very much about destiny in the path. I originally wanted to be a typical Indian profession lawyer. It didn't work out. And then yeah, I ended yeah. <laughs> becoming, I wanted to be a teacher, then I wanted to be a journalist, and then I ended up be, just going into the social work route, something that I'd not even considered. But through the social work route, I have been able to adopt my own child. Mm, I know. So I feel like if I'd gone into any other route, maybe I would have missed my destiny of becoming a mother. I always wanted to be more of a mother than I wanted to be a wife. I wanted to be a mother more than anything. I just knew I couldn't do it down the legitimacy route because obviously – my parents would have been mortified. But when this, this country has given me so much, and it, one of the things it gave me was that opportunity to adopt as a single mother, as a single woman, and I've done it, and I've got my child, and I'm extremely happy, extremely happy. I feel like a circle. I love it. So you adopted I, a child. What's her heritage? Um, she is uh, also uh, dual heritage like me. Yes, oh. yeah. That's beautiful. But, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, she's really light. She's really pretty. I've shut them down immediately. And my daughter considers herself just the same as me to be black. You know, I, I, I you know, I am culturally, I am Indian. Mm -hmm. I cook Indian food. I speak Punjabi. I do everything Indian. I would say racially. I'm dual heritage, so it makes me African and Asian, and that makes me black politically. So that's how my daughter is brought up. She's brought up as black politically, and she's very proud of who she is. Yeah, but Asian culturally. Yes, but Asian culturally, yes. Yeah. And you have a really good relationship with your daughter, right? Yeah, 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 very good, yeah. And and she is. She also knows she's adopted? She, she's a teenager already. <laughs> Oh, she's a T. Oh, okay. So uh, you can, whatever you think is a good relationship with a teenager, right? Like she could go off the rails one minute and be sweet as pie the next, right? I'm probably, I, the, I'm probably the most annoying mother in her life at the moment. Oh, you know, yes. when you have a teen, you can't do right for wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, she, exactly. Joking. She's lovely. I love her very much. Amazing. So Bharati, look, I absolutely loved your book. We are going to wrap this up, but I loved your book. Now, if there's one tip you can give to our listeners on what Brown Girl Rising to help them raise their sense of self-worth today, what would it be? Um, I would say look in that mirror and whatever negative message has been given to you, say to that mirror, if I've been called this or I've been told I'm this, 
you are, that doesn't apply to me and try and think of the opposite. So if somebody's called you, say, ugly, mm. look in that mirror and say, I'm beautiful. I am beautiful through and through. If somebody says to you, you're useless, hey, I'm beautiful. I have a purpose and I have, a, I have the right to be on this earth and yeah. to fulfill purpose and keep repeating that over and over again. So whatever negative messages have been given to you, turn it round and repeat that uh, opposite message over and over again. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Eventually, it will go through yeah. and you will start feeling worthy and you will build up your sense of self-worth. That's oh my, my God. I love it. And if you want to know more about the affirmations that Vipi has, you will find them in page 247 of her book. She's got some beautiful affirmations. For example, I believe I'm worth it every moment, every second, all day and all night. When I show compassion to others, both my worth and my confidence grow and other affirmations that you guys can also use to help you grow your self-worth. Self -worth, sorry. And um, Bharti, how do people find your book? How do people get hold of you and follow you, give your socials? So um, my book is on Amazon. It's also in Waterstones. Um, and if you're outside the country, it's in Barnes & Noble. It's in most uh, bookstores. If you haven't got it, then um, you can quote ISBN 978-1-78817-485-5. stroke 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 <laughs> oh, You're not going to remember it anyway. But... I'll put a link to the Amazon <laughs> book in the podcast notes. What was that? <laughs> yes, what's your website, my love? www.bartydeer.com. Okay. Instagram, just as Barty Deer, and also on Facebook as Insta um, and LinkedIn. So yeah. you get all those details all there. I don't know why I read out the ISBN. That was a dark. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was quite funny. I'll be honest with you. Um, listen, guys. So I will put the link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. I'll also put the link to find Barty um on all the social medias. But this book is incredible. It is called Worth, and it is an inspiring true story of abandonment, exile, inner strength, and belonging. And you guys have to read this. So thank you, Barty, for your time today. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you for inviting me. And I've just really enjoyed talking to you. I can't believe the hour's over. <laughs> I know. It's gone really quick, hasn't it? And you know what? I, it's such a pleasure to have actually met you in person. And when you were talking to me that day, I was just like, I need this book. I need this book. You know, I read the back cover and I was like, I have to read this book. So guys, if you're anything like me and you are an avid book reader, or even if you're not, you will get absolutely sucked into this world of Bharati's from day birth to today. It is absolutely a stunning story. And you can see that she has got so much self-worth and you deserve to be on this planet. I absolutely love you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.